BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show as we speak. It's Wednesday, October 23rd, but of course you're hearing us as podcast. It could be any time. Uh, we have a great guest in the studio, and as I do all the time with our bonus guests, I ask our distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. My name is Conrad Worrell. This is the second guest this week who's just like, uh, you know, what name, you want me to say, name man? rank, and serial number only. It's like, you know, this I, man's a legend. All right, I'll say it. Ladies and gentlemen, Conrad Worrell is an activist, a professor, and a troublemaker in the city of Chicago going way back. Even before I got to Chicago, I moved to Chicago in 81, and uh, he was already a leader in the movement to register black voters, uh, to put a scare into Jane Byrne, who was the mayor of the city of Chicago and to try to encourage Harold Washington, who was a congressman at the time, Conrad Worrell, uh, to run for mayor. And and we'll just do a little, uh, this is not why you're here today. Yeah, go ahead. But we'll do it anyway. Uh, Harold Washington announced in 1982. November 10th at the High Park Hilton. And you were in the room as, as was I, but I'm going one, you're one step ahead of behind me. I was saying, uh, he said, the challenge was the previous summer, I will not run for mayor of Chicago. Uh, he told you and Lou Palmer and Bob Starks and all the other uh, troublemakers uh, on the South Side, I will not run for mayor of the city of Chicago, unless you, you give me some money or register so many people, 50,000 voters. Yeah. Uh, isn't that correct? Was yeah. it 50,000? He said, that's what he said. And he said he needed a hundred thousand. So the Packy group raised 150. That was Ed Gardner and the, uh, uh, Gardner funded a voter registration, uh, organization. And they ended up registering 150,000. Now, so Harold didn't have much of a choice, <laughs> although he was ducking and dodging and playing. We'll talk about that another yeah, time. Yeah, we'll talk about that another time. Harold Washington, the greater Harold Washington. Anyway. Uh, but Harold Washington is connected to what we're getting ready to do today. All right. Well, let's get uh, down to business. Why uh, specifically Conrad Worrell uh, is here today. And um, in addition to sharing a love for Chicago politics, uh, with me, uh, and in addition uh, to being a troublemaker, like I am, uh, Conrad Worrell uh, shares a love for track and field that I share. I love track and field deeply. My kids ran it. I ran it. I coached it. Uh, and and uh, Conrad ran it and coached it himself. And I'm going to read you a uh, lead from an article that Conrad was so nice to provide me that from a story I wrote in The Reader, April 17th, 2008, Conrad, it's already uh, t 
13 years ago. Good God. So here's what I wrote. Uh, This is at the time when Mayor Daley was uh, trying to bring the Olympics to Chicago. Last month, Chicago's Olympic planners announced that they were going to ask Barack Obama and Michael Jordan to court the International Olympic Committee on behalf of the city's bid to host the 2016 Summer Games. I have a better idea for our town's biggest celebrities. Forget the Olympics and give Conrad Worrell a call. And uh, <laughs> I tell you, I was a troublemaker. I'm sure, I don't know how much you appreciated that column. Uh, yeah, I did. It, that was a, a great column that that gave uh, what we were trying to do. You know, I uh, went to Hyde Park High School, 1955 to 59. I grew up in a track and field family. And... Uh, my father w- ran track with Je- Jackie Robinson's oldest brother, Mac. And in 1934, they won the California State Track and Field Championship with five guys. So I heard the stories over and over and over again. So in 1936, Mac Robinson, who was inspired, who inspired his brother Jackie to become the athlete and participate in athletics, was actually the senior member of the Robinson brothers who Jackie looked up to, who uh, my father met when they were 13, walking to Lincoln Elementary School in Pasadena, California. So by 36, now Mac is at Pasadena Junior College, and he makes the U.S. Olympic team from Pasadena Junior College in the 200 meters and play second to the great Jesse Owen. Um, as time rolled on, I came in the world in 1941, and he became my godfather. Uh, my Mac un- Robinson. Mac mm-hmm. Robinson. And my uncle was quite a speedster also. He went to Fresno State in 1937. And between Mac Robinson and my uncle Brainerd, they were the kahunas in California sprints in high school and junior college and, and Fresno. So... What is the point? So I come, we, my father comes to Chicago. He relocates to head up the historic Wabash YMCA. I'm nine years old. I'm coming out of California, and I come to Chicago. And uh, as time went on at the Wabash Y, 3763, there was a track around the gym. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, quite naturally, I began to get involved in athletics. But during that time... The Daily News sponsored the famous Daily News Relays, and my father loved track. So he would take me to the Chicago Stadium and and the great pole vaulter, Richards, I believe his name, the great half-miler, Mel Whitfield, the great hurdler, Harrison Dillard, blah, blah, blah. So I'm just enthralled, Ben. And so I had a little track team one year, and we ran in the bitty part of it. Then I get to Hyde Park High School in 1955, and I'm ready. I had been in the Junior Olympics and set some kind of record. I thought I was getting ready to beat in that Jesse Owens. Little did I know God didn't quite give me that gift, but I love track and I love the athletic. So I'm in Hyde Park <laughs> High School, and I'm saying, practice in the hallways? Oh, no. I'm 14 years old. I'm looking at this concrete, these lockers, and no, 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 no. So this idea of running in the hallways and, and, and competing in track and field in the indoor season, the only indoor facility we had was where the city championships were at the University of Chicago. So this stayed with me all my life, Ben. Uh, this is just, I, I, can't, I can't 
really tell you, this really bothered me because we would go to the suburbs, like, and they would have an indoor track adjacent to the school. And I'm saying here, we're in Chicago, but we're still turning out all these great track and field athletes from Phillips, Dunbar, Inglewood, Marshall. I mean, it's, it's incredible that athletes in track and field in the black community were able to accomplish what they were able to accomplish, let alone uh, in, in some of the white, predominantly white schools that had tremendous track teams also like Lane Tech and Austin and, 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 and so forth. Mm -hmm. So here I am, I become a grown man. And I, I, I never thought I'd have an opportunity to participate in the election of Chicago's first black mayor. So I had my first meeting with Mayor Washington, and I go in and I say, uh, he says, what you want, world? <laughs> and I said, Harold, he said, God damn it, my name, I'm Mayor Washington. Do you understand that, young man? I said, yes. He said, I'll get up out of this chair and beat you up. Call me Mayor Washington <laughs> right now. I said, okay, Mayor Washington. <laughs> yeah. He said, what in the hell do you want, world? I said, Harold. This is what I need. I need an indoor track. He said, what did you say? I said, Harold Washington, we need an indoor track. He said, where in the world did this come from? Where did you get this from? I said, Harold, in 1939, you won the city championship in the hurdles. He said, well, how in the world did you find that out? I said, because I do research. He said, that's what I don't like about you. You're always uncovering some bullshit. <laughs> so, You're allowed to swear it's a podcast. <laughs> so anyway, we had a little conversation, and he finally settled down because I really threw him off. And he said, you know, that's really something to think about, world. But, you know, I've only been in office six weeks. Let's work on that. He said, what else do you want? I said, my brother needs a job. He said, who, Oscar? I said, he said, look, man, get out of my office. We'll talk later. So, it, it, anywho. Did your brother uh, get the job? Yes, he's okay. a drainage. But, he, but Harold said, Sam Pat is up on the seventh floor trying to find the job. The Shackman decree had just come in. Yeah. They would, the city had 40,000 jobs, and I think now it was down to 1,500, 1,700. He said, your brother's, I like Oscar. He worked hard and all that, and I know he's your brother, but he's going to have to wait. And so in April of 1987, they called Harold in and had identified in Chicago there were 60 drain inspectors. Now they're five, mm. and my brother is still a drain inspector from 1987. Harold Washington was good to you. Yeah, Harold brother. Washington. But anyway, Rob Mayer mm. was the commissioner of economics, yeah. and one day I got a call from him. He said, Conrad, uh, the mayor said, I need to talk with you about this indoor track. I said, well, yes, come on. So he and I, oh, uh, during the tenure of Harold, did a lot of research on indoor tracks. We tried to identify uh, uh, a potential site because next to my school, which is now the Carruthers Center for Inner City Study, there was a vacant land there. And Pete, they had found a couple of people who were deceased. Uh, it was an eyesore and so forth. So we got real serious and we were looking at that site as the potential place to build an indoor track. And of course, uh, we were moving in and Harold was getting a little excited and he passed. So that was a setback. But we didn't give up, and we kept pushing the idea. 
Um, and we kept pushing it, and we pushed it with Paul Vallis. Uh, for a minute, he, he gave a few dollars to experiment with doing some research on how we could find some space. And then uh, uh, I got hooked up with Michael Scott, who actually was a track man when Michael was the head of the board of education. And one day, I can't remember exactly when it was, we went to the fire station restaurant, and Michael said, I got it, Doc, I got it. I said, what do you got, man? He said, we can do these, like, football fields and put these things over the top where the kids could have places to run. I said, man, that's not an indoor track, Mike. We could do that. I want an indoor track. He said, well, I got 300000 I said, I don't care how much you got. This, I need an indoor track. Now, we can do this little piece as a, as a beginning point, but we need a state-of-the-art indoor track. So while well, all this was going on, Ben, at the same time, as you know, they were uh, uh, talking about the potentiality of the 2016 Olympics being in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, uh, in 2007, you know, I'm I'm just obsessed with this indoor track now. I'm on 75th and Yates, one of the last black-owned gas stations in Chicago. I used to go there religiously every morning to get my paper and interact with the owners and his family. And this one morning, it was very early, a young man came in and put a pistol up to my temple and proceeded to rob the station. The young lady got bent out of shape, and fortunately I had some military training, and I tried to calm myself down, even though I had almost had to go to the bathroom in my pants with this man having this pistol up against my temple. So he proceeded to rob the station, and he put all the money down in his pocket, and he backpedaled out and pointed the gun and said, don't move, don't move, and he took off. And there was an embankment, and he leaped over it. I said, I'll be doggone. This man is a track man. <laughs> this guy is a track man. No, he is. Oh, man. I've never seen a robber that fast in my life. Man, the things in your mind. <laughs> you just got robbed. You know you love track when that's the thought going on in your brain. So I yeah. called up here. I'm standing out there by, outside the station. I'm two through. Absolutely, I got robbed, and I got robbed by a track man who doesn't even know he's a track man. Yeah. So I called up Higginbottom. I said, Elsie. All right, time out. Elsie Higginbottom. Explain who he is. Well, Elsie, I met Elsie in 1958 uh, uh, at the Moose Heart Relays. He was a track man at Bloom that dominated high school track during my era. He went on to Wisconsin. He was an All-American, a Big Ten champion, NCAA um, t- uh, top 400-meter runner who probably would have made the uh, Olympic team uh, from the University of Wisconsin in 64, but he pulled a muscle. And he went on, I think, Bird and Warner. He majored in agricultural economics at Wisconsin. And somehow he got a break and found out about real estate. And by the late 1970s, he had his own company, Eastlake. And he and I have been fighting each other and been uh, 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 in disagreement on politics for a number of years, 
but we're lifelong friends. Well, let's just point out one last other thing. LZ Higginbottom, one of the other things, is my boss. All right, he owns the real. I don't the give real. a doggone about him. He's not my boss. He's okay. my boss. <laughs> and we've been on the opposite sides of pretty much every political debate in the city of Chicago. Yeah, well. So I'll give him credit for this. He puts up with me. Yeah, uh, and he puts of, up with me. So, uh, uh, yeah, he's yeah, my boss. But, but, yes, sir, Mr. Higginbottom. Uh, so no, anyway, I don't do all that okay, yeah. with him. But listen. <laughs> Yeah. So I called Elsie, Ben. I said, Elsie, let me tell you what happened. So I told him, I said, Elsie, we got to focus. I need your help. We need to create a group. We need to invite all these old heads to a meeting and talk about the revitalization of track and field. All these kids are not going to the NBA and getting a contract. <laughs> They're not going. And plus, a lot of the kids don't know that they can earn money and become professional track and field athlete. So we convened a meeting of every track and field athlete we knew, particularly in the black community. And there were others, some white, white former track and field athletes at the Parkway ballroom. We had quite a meeting. And out of that, we created friends of track and field. And since, uh, 2008, uh, oh, we've been on it. And I remember, <laughs> Uh, LZ, I had to give my friend LZ uh, a lot of kudos. He went inside and he was lobbying daily for creating what became known as World Sports Chicago to put track and field at the center to use that as as a ca their campaigning for getting the 2016 Olympics. So one day LZ called me and he said, look, the mayor is going to announce uh, <laughs> a World Sports Chicago out in Jackson Park. I said, what's that got to do with me, Elsie? He said, I need you out there. I said, I'm not coming out there. He said, with Daly? No, 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 that's not happening. He said, bring your, what's the name, out there, man. I got the man to push your thing for track. So I reluctantly went out to Jackson Park, and it turns out, Ben, it was uh, – on the football field area where I practiced football in high school back in the 50s. Mm. Uh, so I stood off to the side, but, side, but Daly, Elsie stood up there with Daly, and Daly announced World Sports Chicago and that he would make track and field at the center of uh, the activities, and they got a lot of private money. So... Um, that went on, and they didn't get the 20. Then you wrote your article, the famous article in 2018 in the Reader that really gave us a boost in the public domain. Uh, ben, I never did thank you, and I'm thanking you now. So we stayed, uh, we just stayed on the course, and we kept pushing and pushing and pushing. So this is the killer, Ben. So one day, here I am at the end of my tenure. I've been working at the university almost 40 years, 38 years. This is 2014. I'm thinking about retiring as a professor, and I've been the director of the Carruthers Center for Inner City Studies at Northeastern Illinois University. So I'm just doing my administrative bureaucratic thing one day, and my phone rings, and it was Ken Bennett. He said, Doc, you need to meet with Rom." I said, what did you say, man? <laughs> Me with Ron? Yeah. For what? He said, well, whatever you want to tell him. He said, Doc, 
you got to do this. I said, I don't have to do anything. Time out. Ken Bennett is a key political uh, aide to Rahm Emanuel, who's sort of, I always call him like the black mayor of Chicago when Rahm was the mayor. Uh, And he's also the father of Chance the Rapper. Okay. And I met him in Harold Washington's campaign when he was a teenager, and he claims he always looked up to me and learned a few things. So he said, look, Conrad, please, Doc, talk to Ron, will you? I said, man, go find somebody else to talk to Ron to keep your job. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't mess with me. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, uh, I hung up. Mm. And I said, you know, that's off the table. And about a few days later, Ben, true story, Ron Emanuel calls. He says, uh, Dr. World, this is your mayor. Uh, and I'd like to share with you uh, what we're doing. I said, That's a great hey, Rahm Emanuel impression, by the way. <laughs> I said, Hey, I said, Hey, oh, <laughs> I said, Rahm, I see what you're doing and you're messing up the city. So it's nothing you could tell me about what you're doing in Chicago. He said, Doc, can't you give me a chance? I said, No, I can't give you a chance. He said, You don't want to meet with me? I said, no, what am I going to meet with you for? Are you ready to do something? If I was the only reason I'm going to meet with you, because I got a project. And he said, well, let's have a meeting. I said, fine. I'll think about it. I'll call a few people. So I got off the phone, and I called Elsie. I said, Elsie, I just went off on wrong. He said, you haven't learned yet. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't learned yet. So anyway, he said, man, let's go meet with the man. Drop your program right now. Let's go. So uh, a week or so, Elsie Higginbottom, Alderman Michelle Harris, Superintendent Mike Kelly, Megan Hart, who was also uh, one of the deputy chiefs of staff, Ken and Rom. So I hadn't been in the mayor's office then since 1987. So I walk in the mayor's office and Rom, he's just turkey jerky. Oh, glad you're here. Would you like some coffee, Connie? And uh, I said, hey, man, uh, my name is Dr. World. Wait, tell me, he called you Connie? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He, he had heard, but this is a... There's just something going on there, and I'll come back to that. Okay. Um, because a lot of Jewish people that I, in grammar school and high school, called me Connie, and Rom had found out that from his network, from Highland Park, that that's what they called me. So he did his research. He, he did his research. So he, he offers me this coffee. He said, you need cream and sugar? I said, yeah. He said, well, it's not good for I said, hey, man, sit down. I said, look, this is what's wrong with white people. You're going (laughs) to offer me something and then tell me what to do. I said, I haven't been in this office in 1980. Sit down, Rom, and let's have a meeting. He sat down. So I had a packet of material, and I had all my little stuff, and I go on and run my thing about the need for an indoor track. Ten or 15 minutes into it, Rom stopped. He said, this is it. This is it. Megan, find the money. Uh, Ken, find the money. Mike, find the money. So, I'm, you know, I'm not listening to him at all. And I kept talking. And I kept running my mouth. Elsie kicks me under the table to say, you damn fool. You know, you got what you want. Would you please be quiet? <laughs> so that, that kicked it off. And uh, that was in 2014. So Elsie had a hookup with Quinn. 
and LZ lobbied Quinn. Pat Quinn, governor. Yeah, Pat Quinn, to put some money in the state budget for an indoor track. They found a little TIF money and some money from the park district. We started convening architects. We started having serious discussions at my school and input on a state-of-the-art indoor track facility. Well, here comes Rauner. So Rauner froze the money, and it wasn't until Rauner was out that the funds were released. And in the process, Elsie is treasurer of after-school matters. I got to give Elsie. Elsie is quite an operator. <laughs> so I get a call. I get a call <laughs> to show up at Corliss High School for a press conference with Melody Hobson. And I'm saying, what are they doing? We went in the indoor track. I mean, what's Melody Hobson got to do with anything? And excellent. So I discovered that they had worked uh, uh, in ROM and after school matters and whoever else, that a part of the indoor track for this contribution, would, which is really a great idea, for after-school matters, because indoor track is uh, really December to about March. And so we had this big press conference out at Corliss where Melly Hobson and her husband, uh, George Lucas, donated $15 million, mm. and Esalon donated another five. That put us up into over $50 million for the indoor track. 50, 5-0? It's five, 57 million. So, so... So anyway, we're, we're moving. $57 million? $57 million, buddy. So listen, so we had a, in, in 2018, um, August 19th, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. I think that was Rahm Emanuel's last day in the sun. Uh, we had the groundbreaking for the indoor track. We had hundreds of people out by Gately Stadium, yeah. and they allowed me to talk. And I talked about the history and thanked everyone. So if you go to 103rd now in Cottage Grove, um, there at Gately Park where Gately Stadium is, you will see the, the uh, unfolding of the state-of-the-art indoor track facility that will have a 200-meter hydraulic Mondo track, 55-meter uh, eight lanes, two long jump pits, mm -hmm. two pole vault pits, 3,500 seating capacity, media uh, a room, vending rooms, locker rooms, warm-up areas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And most of the track and field experts in the country that I've consulted with who come into Chicago to make input into this process, uh, so Irish guy, uh, I'm blocking on his name right now, but he's the top person on indoor tracks in the country. And he came and, 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 and met with the Park District uh, 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 staff. They say it will probably be the top state-of-the-art indoor track facility in the country. And so hopefully by April of spring of 2020 will be the grand opening. Uh, I, just, I might want to add that the other thing was we were able to get some black business connected to this and I guess the, whatever people believe spiritually, but NOSA BOA construction uh, is a Nigerian 
American who was a track man in the suburbs and a triple jump champion, Big Ten at Ohio State, who's got 49% of the contract of 57 million. Mm. So uh, that that uh, is a part of the story also. So we're at the stage now rolling out how to use the indoor track. Obviously, I know, Ben, you would say we need another one, and I will, before you go there, we do need two or three more. For, I'd say you five, more. Me, <laughs> five more. Five, five. more. But can't we get this one open? Get this one 12? open, then we open one on the west side, then on the north side, and then we need it on the southwest side. Right. Well, I have the model. I have, have the, the model. model. I have the model. Uh, so I think it would be a great boost, the indoor track. We're already talking to the NCAA, USA Track and Field, and uh, – it has great potentiality for revitalizing. I mean, the Chicago, Ralph Metcalf, 27, 28, 29, 100, out of Tilden State Champion, under Marquette, and a lot of people are not aware that Metcalf in his prime was the only person that could beat Jesse Owens. Yes. Uh, Ralph uh, Beckham later became a congressman. He preceded Harold Harold Washington as well. There was one person in between them, yeah. but he was the congressman from the first congressional district. And and then the contradiction of this before Title IX, I'm jumping into the '60s. Somehow Mayor Daley won. Old Man Daley. Old Man Daley sponsored yes. the Mayor Daley Youth Foundation. Yes, he did which provided tremendous opportunities for young, particularly African-American young women to run track. And Joe Robichaud yeah. was the track coach. And it just so happened, one of my high school classmates who had the skinniest legs in the world <laughs> yeah. in 1955, Mamie Rollins, the great Mamie Rollins, uh, ended up running for the Mayor Daly Youth Foundation. And by the time we were seniors at Hyde Park, we, we gave her a nickname, Ben, Sticks. Okay. We called her Sticks. Yeah. But Sticks <laughs> ran with legs. Pat Hill. Yes, the great and Pat Toy Hill. And Toy McCoy and Willie White and all of these mm. great women out of Chicago who ran track all over the world. Mayor Daly. Yeah. No, so this is what I found out, Ben. Mm. Mayor well, Daly got the idea from the Ralph... Metcalf Youth Foundation. Yeah. He stole Metcalf's idea. Oh, there's a big surprise. Uh, but anyway, that's the story. Yeah, and uh, so uh, who will be running this new facility at 130? Well, big park the, it's a park district facility. There's a lot of conversation about who would run it because obviously it's got to have an income base. Uh, during the off season, I didn't point out it is a it, it will be a facility it could do volleyball. Uh, you could do badminton. Uh, we're, we're trying to stay away from basketball, but it will have that capacity. And it will be uh, the, the, the track itself will be open uh, year-round for people who want to work out and run. Mm -hmm. The question is how to program it. So the most successful programming of an indoor track is in New York City. Uh, where their track is open seven days a week, Ben, 24 hours a day. Yeah. It's people running, doing something. And so we're looking at different models. Uh, the models haven't been solidified, but I'd like to have a shout-out to, to Mike Kelly. I know I get on the nerves and Alonzo and Trina and, and uh, uh, Nicole Sheehan, who's the project manager, and, and all the people associated with this because I know that they'll be glad – 
when this is over with so they don't have to deal with it. All right, and I can understand that. Let me give a suggestion, and uh, let's pretend that I'm not giving the suggestion because if they hear the suggestion comes from me, they won't do it. But because uh, uh, this article came out in <laughs> April 2008, that, uh, that's how long it took for them to follow up on my suggestion. But, uh, Conrad, I really hope that this new track facility, and God bless you for your work in getting it done, uh, I really hope this new track facility can be used by the Chicago Public Schools. Let me explain. I believe there's so much talent in the city of Chicago for track and field. There's so much talent in the city of Chicago for a lot of things, but I'm just going to concentrate on track and field. And if you had a, a showcase facility where kids could feel go and feel like it's a big deal, you know, running in the hallways is just not only hard on your knees, but it's kind of psychologically weird. You know what I mean? It sends a message. You can run it out of hall. Some kid opens up a door. You're going to run into the, the, <laughs> the locker. You know, you're just part of the hubbub. It's not, it, it, it just doesn't distinguish you. But if you have a world-class facility at uh, 103rd and uh, Cottage Grove, uh, which you could make a big deal about uh, the city of Chicago uh, indoor track championship kids competing from all over the city of Chicago for the right to be ben, a champion. You're late to the party. Oh, okay. Ben, I thought I was starting ben, the party. Ben, ben. <laughs> Typical Ben Jarowski. Late to the party. I, 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 look, Ben, Ben is something now, but listen, that's it. What you're saying. And so Thomas Smith, uh, who's, a, uh, uh, one of the, uh, uh, administrators at sports administration we're working also the head track coach at chicago state which is right down the street is a young man that i've mentored craig collins and so we have a little committee to figure out how to do this uh precisely what you're saying to open this up for the major uh indoor city championships consistent uh opportunities for track meets at high school uh, to also have access to practice. But also, I want to bring back something like the Chicago Daily News. Release. I'm going to talk to Elsie if he's listening. When he listens to this, yes, I'm asking you to do something else again, Elsie. <laughs> and don't, don't front me all. But we could have the Elsie Higginbottom relays, it, it, uh, just like the Mayor Daily. Uh, uh, excuse me, the Chicago Daily News relays when I was inspired by seeing these Olympic athletes. So we have, uh, despite the lack of facilities uh, over time, we have still done well. Uh, Derek Calhoun at Morgan Park dominated the women's uh, track meet over the last several years. Shamir Little is a one-man, one-woman wrecking crew out of Limbloom who's an Olympic athlete, one of the top 400-meter hurdlers. Uh, Alexander Anderson, who was another great one out of uh, Whitney Young. But it, it, not Park. since 1974, Ben, has there been a men's team, Lane Tech, that won the men, the boys' state track and field championship. And you know who was on that team? What year? Lewis, it's 1974. Oh, yeah. You know who was on that uh -huh. team, Ben? Lewis Carr, of the president of BET right now, a, a, a multi-millionaire, was the leading 400-meter runner in the state and went to Drake on a track and field scholarship. So the boys out of the public league haven't won a state championship since 1974. The girls, because of the 
great Derry Calhoun and his coaching. And Whitney Young has been in the hunt. There have been a few teams. Morgan Park. And, uh, Morgan Park. Alexander Cal- Morgan Derry Park. Calhoun. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yes, all of what you just uh, dropped, that's what we're hoping for. We want to get this show on the road. There's too many young men out here doing what the young man did to me in 2007, uh, robbing me and running off like lightning that we can perhaps uh, encourage into this great sport of track and field. It is a great sport. And uh, I know you got to go, but before I let you go, talk a little bit about, uh, and maybe I'm responsible for this too. And I'm going to, we, we all are guilty in our own way. I love basketball immensely. I'm wearing red today uh, as I do this interview in part because I support the Chicago teachers, but also in part because my beloved Chicago Bulls. Get me off <laughs> Go ahead, man. My beloved Chicago. I know we're not allowed to talk about the teachers. Uh, my beloved Chicago Bulls uh, opened their season tonight. I'm going to go over to my friend's house to watch the game, but basketball is like an obsession let's put it that way one might call it an addiction uh that's overwhelmed so many kids and i mean would you like to hear a story go 1913 3763 south wabash 1891 springfield massachusetts naismith created this game out of a class at this YMCA training school in Springfield, Massachusetts. So in 1913, here in Chicago, when the Wabash Y was open, it opened with a gymnasium. During that era, Ben, black people were not into basketball, was just emerging on the East Coast and New York and what have you. It was kind of catching on because the game rose through the YMCA movement. Uh Alonzo Stagg, who had been a student of Naismith at Springfield College, had been recruited to the University of Chicago to be the athletic director. And somebody on the Y staff heard of Alonzo Stagg and asked him to come to the Wabash Y and introduce the game to the colored people. In the gym of the Wabash Y, Alonzo Stagg gave a clinic and introduced the game of basketball in Chicago. So the little fellows who were in the neighborhood who start learning the rules of this emerging game, who had been kids who played baseball and stickball and whatever, now started playing the game and getting involved in the game. And guess they lived right around Phillips High School and they started attending Phillips High School and they had an edge on everybody because they learned the game. So if you go back and look at the archives, and particularly the Chicago Defender that covered uh, high school basketball. Phillips dominated high school basketball to the extent that there were riots sometime when they played white teams if they were winning because they didn't want to lose. So in 1926, uh, some of the men that had played at Phillips now uh, – uh, had graduated and formed a semi-pro team called the Savoy Big Five. And they were making $0.02, cent, $0.10, cent, $5, whatever. And they had some kind of falling out. And Abe Saperstein, who was on the north side, heard about it, came and picked off some of the guys and created the Harlem Globetrotters. 
and the first six signees of the Trotters played at Phillips High School. Mm, all from Chicago. All from Chicago. So the history of basketball is what frustrating to me uh, that the the sacrifices that people like Kurt Flood and 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 others have made on free agency and Chet Walker. And that a lot of the young, uh, the, there is an obsession with the game. And we can do another show because I have a lot of opinions about that and how uh, the corporate intrusion into athletics has undermined athletics and what the real meaning of what it could be to turn lives around. Uh, and it's been gangsterized uh, to some extent. So, Basketball in Chicago, Chicago is a citadel uh, of basketball, uh, emerging out of the 30s into the 40s, into Nat Sweetwater Clifton, who was one of the first signees in the NBA, uh, came coming out of DuSable. And then the great DuSable teams in 1953 and 54, with the great Paxton Lumpkin, the great Charlotte Brown, uh, the great uh, McKinley Cousin, the great Shelley McMillan, and just a great team that I saw get a game stolen from by them. the referees. 76 to 70, Mount Vernon, who had one black player, Al Alvan, in March of 1954. So when you bring in basketball, you, you, you get into something with me. Uh, well, we'll I guess uh, we could take a deep dive, but I'm going to pull back and not take the deep dive at this moment. We'll bring you back maybe in a month to talk about corporate intrusion into sports, gangsterism of sports. Remember that. Uh, I know you'll follow up. Right, We're going right. to get Ezra right, down right. here. That's a, well, all right. We'll get Ezra. Yeah, yeah I heard big talk from Ezra. He was supposed to on come the down here today. and so forth. But, yeah, well, but thank you, Ben, so much for this opportunity. Uh, I'm 78 now, and this has been over 35 years, and you're one of the few people, white people, uh, in the media who shined light on something that could help all the kids in the city of Chicago, and I want to thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Conrad Worrell. Appreciate that. And we'll bring you back in a month. Corporate intrusion in the sports, gangsterism of sports. We'll do it all again and uh, look forward to it. All right. Thank you, Ben. That's the great Conrad Worrell. I'm Ben Jarofsky. And that's another bonus show. Take care, everybody. This Bendrovsky Show Benny J bonus interview was brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Uh-huh.